0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to three places. Would you, Proverbs chapter 24? Joshua chapter 24, and Matthew chapter 7. Proverbs 24, Joshua 24, Matthew chapter 7. And I've entitled our Bible study today, As for Me and My House. As for me and my house. The most important part of this coming series of studies is your house, and your home, and your life. And understanding the importance of the choices that you make. Your choices are important. The sum total of your life is made up of the choices that you've made. I mean, consider it, where you are right now, today, is a result of the choices that you've made up to today. I understand that not everything has happened because of your choices, but I'm talking about the things that you have control over, your freedom, your choices. And you can say that there are choices today, you can make a decision today going forward that the choices you make today will change tomorrow. It will change the trajectory of your life. And if you are here today, you're starting to listen to this series because your family is upside down, because your life is upside down, because you're really struggling, because it's super difficult for you. I'm here to remind you on behalf of God that the choices you make today, beginning with repentance, beginning with humility, beginning with a desire to surrender your life to God, those choices will have an immediate impact for the good for your life and your family. Not all is lost. Now it's true. Families come in all different shapes and sizes. And it's also true that all these different types of families... The family unit, marriages, singles, kids, single parenting, those that are widow or widow, widowers, even God's design for the family is under severe strain and stress today. Maybe even yours, maybe even your family. Now I'm sure your family like mine is facing some sort of pressure, some sort of difficulty or challenge, why? Well, things are broken. Things are broken. You and I were born into a broken world. And we are living in what I like to call a sin-soaked culture. It's not just our culture, it is the world's culture. It's been tainted and damaged by sin. That is the problem on the earth today. It's man's decision to rebel against God. And you suffer, you suffer for your own sinful decisions. And you also suffer for other people's sinful decisions. And things are just broken. That's the way it is. Sometimes you just gotta admit that your marriage is broken. That you're broken as a singleness. And I don't mean the kind of broken that is humble and the kind of brokenness that's, that God's attracted to, that humility, I'm just talking about you. Yeah, and your decisions, maybe you're, you're in such a sinful condition that you just won't admit that you're broken and you need the grace of God in your life. Even though there are no college courses, no how-to seminars on having a strong family, you, you won't be able to download an app that will miraculously give you the family of your dreams, even though some people promise that. Even though there aren't these things available to you that would immediately transform your life, There is a book, God has given us direction for his desire for our lives. The book is known as the Bible. God has given us insight that if you will read and hear and do God's word, he will honor his word in your life. He will honor it. He he will honor your desire to be in a right relationship with him. He will meet you there. Not only do you have a book, but if you're a believer in Jesus today, God gives you not only the book, but also the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit to strengthen you and help you. Literally, as a follower of Christ, you are walking around with built-in help, that it's not just behavior modification. You know, that's how the world deals with things. The world deals with things with just change your behavior. Just change your behavior. Just change your behavior and all things will be great. Now, let me say this. There are behaviors that do need to be changed. I'm not minimizing that part. But simply changing your behavior doesn't solve the problem. The problem is deeper than the behavior. The problem, as we'll see in a moment, is a heart issue. And only God can deal with your heart. However, only you can respond to God dealing with your heart. (laughs) And only you can come to him willing and open to be used to serve him, first starting in your home and in your life. God is ready to give us wisdom in how to navigate our lives. We live in an upside down, out of control world and God's ready to give us wisdom. But it's not just the world. Some of you, you need wisdom to navigate your life in your upside-down, out-of-control house, and family, and just the difficulties that you're facing today. I asked you to open in Proverbs 24, that's where I wanna start. It is the verse that's the banner over this whole series. It's something I want you to memorize, I want you to hold on to, and grasp in your heart of hearts. Notice with me in verse three, in the wisdom of Solomon in the proverbs proverbs chapter 24 verse 3 it says through wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches that is God's desire for you today God's desire for you today is to have a house And you could say, you know, this is not a house, this is not a verse that's directed toward contractors, you know, this is is not literally building a house, it's a picture. It's a metaphor, using metaphoric language, describing your life, describing your family, no matter what shape or size it is. It's through wisdom, the wisdom of God, that your life is built. And it's through the understanding that your life is established. And God wants by knowledge your life to be filled, the rooms of your life to be filled with precious and pleasant riches. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to navigate through this sin-soaked world in such a way where there is joy unspeakable and happiness along the way. He wants you to embrace the condition of your life as it is today and have a contented approach, to be content with what you have and who you are. And a lot of what you're going to learn and hear during this series will not sound like what you hear in the world. It won't be what the latest TLC show is. It won't be what the, the thing is podcast, like the world has a way of doing things that the Bible is completely the opposite. And that's why some of you are following all this wisdom of the world and it's just jacking your life up. It's not helping you at all. Where the Bible just makes it super easy for us. Now let me be clear, super easy doesn't mean the application will always be easy as we'll see in a moment. But man, God has given you wisdom and understanding. He's given me wisdom and understanding to build my house. And let me just say, in my life, Personally, when I was born again, when I responded to an invitation, when I walked up and prayed with the pastor coming from the altar call, I literally, and this is no exaggeration, this, I'm not making this up. This is absolutely 100% true. I did not know how to be a man a husband, a dad, a son, an employee, or a productive member of society, period. I didn't know. I mean, the evidence was all around me. If my parents were still here, you could ask them. You can ask my wife. If my son Eddie was still around, you could ask him. As he experienced some of those early days of an unsaved dad, I didn't know. And it wasn't that I was ignorant as much as it was my world surrounded me. I made my own rules. I did my own thing. And yet God, with the power of his gospel, you know, he, you look at me, you know, God would look at me and it was so good. God would look at me and go, you know, it, it's just so amazing to think that God saw, you know, you see that guy, that guy, he will be a pastor one day. You know, he would say that to all the people that said, no, he's going to jail one day. He just got out of jail, he's going back to jail, he's gonna be divorced, his wife's gonna leave him, his kids are gonna hate him, that was my future. And you would have been accurate in many ways if you made that assessment in the human realm. But see, God is not limited by the human realm. God is outside of our limitations, he is able, listen, he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think or ask. And no matter the condition of your family today, good or bad, difficult or easy, God is ready to act on your behalf. Married, single, divorced, separated, single parent, no matter what your family unit might be, God is ready to act on your behalf. It's the wisdom of God that both gives us the tools to build and the help to establish our homes and our lives. This is exactly how God established the world. Jot it down, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12. It says, he has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. This is how God made the world. So he goes, God says, this is what I want you to do in your homes. This is how I want you to build your life. I want you to stop what you're doing and get on track with me. That God, he taught me how to be a man. I'm still learning. He taught me how to be a husband. I'm still learning. Taught me how to be a dad. I'm still learning. He, he, is, he is infinitely ready to give us the wisdom that we need to continue to grow in his grace. And yes, we've already mentioned every home is different. Many of you are married with kids. Some are married without kids. Separated, divorced, single, widowed. But listen, in each of the studies, I don't want you checking out on them because it doesn't address your specific current situation. For example, you that are single, when I'm talking about marriage, I don't want you checking out and go, it doesn't apply to me, it does apply to you. Or vice versa. Those of you that are married, when I'm teaching on singleness, you go, well, that doesn't apply to me anymore. I'm married. No, I want you to pay close attention to everything. Parents, even if you, uh, parents, you're, you're going you're, you're to be listening intently when we talk about kids. For those that are single, I don't have any kids. You know, I don't want you checking out. You guys, are you guys with me? So far, stick with me. The other thing I want you to understand is here's the heart, the banner of my heart for you. Because some of what I'm gonna share with you will be difficult to receive. I already know it, uh, and I'm ready to deliver it. I really want you to grow. But here's the banner. I want you to get it from me personally. I want you to to consider receiving these messages from me. First of all, don't destroy the messenger, okay? I'm asking you, please, don't go after the messenger. I'm just delivering the message. But here's how I'm delivering it. It might sound strong, but it'll be strong to those that need it strong. But but this is my, my, I'm begging you to do the right thing that's my heart for you. I'm just begging you, please do the right thing. No more excuses. No more game playing. No, just do the right thing. Just read the Bible and do it. Well, you don't understand. It's her. It's not her fault. It's your fault. Do the right thing. Well, no, it's his fault. No, it's not his fault. It's your fault. Stop assessing blame and get right with the Lord. And he'll honor that. He'll honor that. Listen, here's how it starts. You've got to have your vertical relationship with God in order. That's where it starts. Remember what the Bible says? To love the Lord God, Jesus summarized the whole law. What did he say? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. It starts upward, upward. Here's the problem. We always deal with each other laterally or horizontally. So we're just going at each other, going at each other, going at each other, and never making any progress. Things get worse that way, not better. But when one person decides... whether it's a marriage, whether it's with our kids, whether it's in friendships, relationships, when one person decides to seek the Lord, all of that stops and God begins to honor a person who obeys him and says, no, I'm gonna love you. We'll see that with Joshua. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna commit myself to you, Lord. And I'm gonna give these relationships to you. And I'm gonna honor you. Even though I don't see any immediate change, I'm gonna honor you because obedience is what you honor. So with that in mind, Come with me to Joshua chapter 23, Joshua chapter 23. Let's go back in time a little bit. Don't check out on any of these studies because whether it addresses your current situation, I'll tell you what, it's gonna address someone else in your life. So whether it's for you or you're ministering to someone else, you're gonna wanna learn every stage of what I'm gonna share in the coming weeks. So let's go back in time to this epic moment in the life and the history of the children of Israel. These are men and women that have chosen to follow God in what's known as the Old Covenant. But when you think of the Old Covenant, I want you to think of these people as your brothers and sisters, because they are. You will meet them in heaven. You will meet Joshua in heaven. Why? Because when they were living their life, they were looking forward to the cross. And as a matter of fact, when we were studying through Hebrews, what did we learn? That we learned that many of them never fully experienced. They died before the cross. They didn't get to experience it. But you and I, we look back on the cross. We get to experience what's known as the new covenant. But we're all followers of God. That They were saved the same way you're saved. They were saved in, by faith in the coming Messiah. They obeyed God looking forward to the coming Messiah. You today are saved and your sins are forgiven how? By looking back at Messiah that's come. You get to experience what they all were looking for. And this is a group here that were living by faith, according to the precepts of God, waiting for Messiah. But here in this particular section of the Bible in Joshua, you have this nation occupying the promised land. And what a season in their life. Joshua, taking over from Moses, has led the nation across the Jordan River, through many victorious battles to the place where the families now, the families are settling down. They're settling down literally in the promises of God. So in chapter 23, there, there's these final words of Joshua as they're settling down. And he calls for the leaders and the elders to give them final instructions. Notice in verse 14, or excuse me, actually in Joshua 23, verse two. Joshua called for all Israel their elders, the heads for their judges and their officers. And he said, I'm old and advanced in age. You've seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. And I've divided to you all the land that's to remain as inheritance to your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I've I've cut off as far as the great sea westward, verse five. And the Lord your God will expel them before you, drive them out of your sight, So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. Then he gives these final words. Notice in verse six, he says, be very courageous to what? Keep and do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses so that you don't turn aside to the left or to the right. Unless, verse seven, you go among these nations who remain among you, don't even make mention of their gods. Don't cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall, notice verse eight, Hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord God is he who fights for you, just as he has promised. And God has been faithful to them. And then in chapter 24, he reminds them of God's faithfulness. And he gives this strong warning against idolatry. He says, notice in verse 14 out of Joshua 24. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether it be the gods which our father served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, and then here's the key. This is some, not, you want to hold on to this? this is as much as you hold on to Proverbs 24, three and four. Joshua says to the nation, whatever choice you guys make, whatever you do, I want you to make the right choice, but whatever you make, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you have just never made that decision. You just never made that decision. You're, you're still caught up in idolatry. You know, for us today in our modern world, we think of idolatry as something ancient, you know, I don't, have any, I don't have any statues in my house, Ed, I'm not carving up wood, and I'm not doing these things, and so therefore you excuse yourself from idolatry. But a careful examination of so many lives today would see that the false gods of pleasure, intellect, money, and more are still being worshiped today among us there are still things that are taking your love away from a sincere and truthful relationship with God. You think, oh, that's just something in Joshua. No, 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 no. It's a new covenant issue as well. In 1 John 5, verse 21, what did John tell the church? He said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Stay pure. There can be a tendency in each of us to get sucked into the stupidity of idolatry. An idol is anything that has a higher priority in our lives than the Lord. This is important. It's so important that God reserved it in the top 10. Exodus chapter 20, verse three. You shall have no other gods before me. None, that God would receive the priority in our lives. Are there other gods in your life that have a higher priority than the Lord? It's important that you examine your life in this way. So much is lost in our idolatrous worship of false gods. We need to pray for purity in our worship and be careful in our lives. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse three, let me read it to you. Ezekiel is given a vision from God, given a word, and he says, Son of man, these men have set up idols, notice, in their hearts, because that's where idolatry resides. They've set up idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of all at all by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble in, into iniquity, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I might seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. That's a pretty powerful passage. That's a powerful passage. There are those we meet who hear strange things and think it's from the Lord. They even say it's from the Lord. Things like, You know, I can steal from work. God has given me permission. No, he hasn't given you permission at all to steal. You're not hearing from the Lord. You're hearing according to your idol. Or maybe this, I can slander and gossip. God has released me from that burden. What? No, you can't slander or gossip on another person. It's a sin. You can't. How about this one? I was praying the other day, and the Lord told me to leave my husband with no biblical grounds. What? No, if you were really praying to the Lord, he would have said, you have a hard heart and I'm ready to soften your heart. That's what he would have said. And so what Ezekiel is saying here is if there's an idol in your heart, listen, if there's an idol in your heart and you seek the Lord, you will hear the voice of your idol and think it's God. You'll go, I have a peace about it. No, you actually don't have a peace about it. You have just created an environment and a set of excuses to dismiss your sinful behavior. Why? Because you've set up an idol in your heart. It could be the idol of peace. I just want peace. So now all you do is talk about peace, but that peace is not from God. You're you're just simply not following him and trusting him in a difficult time. It's like, oh, you know what, I don't understand. I I just need this and I need this because I feel so stuck. And I, I just like, I feel like God has just put me in a place. And you start blaming God for the position of your life. In Christ, you're not stuck, you're free. The Lord is working in your life. And there are times where God will allow restrictions in our lives. Why? To teach us to trust him, to hold fast to him. But I've met believer after believer. I've watched family disintegrate. I've watched kids backslide and turn their backs on the Lord and then say it was from God. And I just know that they set up an idol in their heart. It wasn't from God at all. God never excuses or approves of sin. You're just self-deceived. And God is ready to open your eyes. Joshua stands as an example where you declare it over your house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But Ed, so-and-so is not, no, no. As for me and my house, as for me, We don't really have control over other people, but we have control over me and my choices. So it starts with me and it actually ends with me. As I have my walk with the Lord, my relationship with the Lord. When I was born again, I had to make this decision over my home. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And I, I learned that as I make mistakes along the way, as a dad, as a husband, uh, as the leader in my home, as a co-laborer with my wife, as I make mistakes, I wanna make them seeking to serve the Lord rather than seeking to serve myself. And so I repetitively make this decision. As for me and my house, I serve the Lord. I'm still making that decision today. As for me and my house. And by, by the way, God is not looking for perfect families and perfect homes. You don't have one. I don't have one. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for surrender. Surrender. Just, it's like, you know, when you're singing, right? You lift up your hands to the Lord. That's just a sign of surrender. It's a sign of worship. It's like, oh Lord, I, these, these words mean so much to me. I just, I, you're so vulnerable when you're like this. You're just in such a vulnerable position. But in that vulnerability, the Lord meets you there. And I know in this room, there's some hard situations, hard situations in my family right now. Very hard, very difficult, outside of my control. So I just got to trust the Lord. That's what that that choice, as for me in my house, where I control, as for me in my house, I'll serve the Lord. I'm going to keep my love relationship strong with him. And I'll let the Lord sort out the other things and just keep serving him, keep serving him, keep serving him, give my life to him. And that's how our lives will be judged. Not just how we finish, not just how we started, but how we finish. I want to finish well. Joshua is challenging the people to make a choice. To, you know, because you can live for many different things. Even when trouble comes to your home, you can live for many different things. You can take on an identity of your crisis. You can take on an identity of your difficulty. Or you can maintain your identity of your victory in Jesus. You can maintain your, the, the true identity that you have as a follower of Christ, and that people that follow Jesus go through hard things, experience difficult things, experience imperfections, difficulties, where we learn to pray, we learn to surrender, we learn to love what we learn to adapt ourselves, stop trying to change everybody, but just change ourselves to be more moldable in the Father's hands. <laughs> just let the Spirit do what He wants to do in our lives. Growing. In grace, You know, I think as we get to it later on, but, you know, it's like just that that simple, let me give you a real simple one, not even really difficult. The difference between marriage and singleness, right? Because in, in our culture, and unfortunately, even in the church today, marriage is kind of described as better than singleness. But it's not. They're both equal stations from the Lord. So marriage is not better or worse. It's just a different place that you have in life. It's funny, the singles are, oh, I want to be married, I want to be married, I have to be married. And then the married people are going, I want to be, (laughs) don't say it, (laughs) don't you, you're thinking it, you're already busted, don't say it. Because it's not an issue of marriage and singleness as much as it is an issue of contentment. Learning to be content where you are. It can be hard in marriage, it can be hard in singleness, it's hard in both. You see, God, he's working in your home, in your house, in your life, in your current situation. And the grass always seems greener in your neighbor's yard, man. It's always someone's got a better life. Someone's got something that, no, no, no. You're exactly where God wants you. As for me and my house, I'm gonna serve the Lord. Where I'm at, the condition of my life today could things be easier, could things be different? Of course, there's advantages to both. There's advantages to marriage where a three-fold cord is not easily broken. But there's also advantages to singleness. And you know, the gift of singleness in this season, and we'll get to it and we develop it in a later study, but that when you, the gift of singleness is that you get to devote yourself 100% to serving God, 100%. Your whole life can be sent that's what that they can be spent in. The, like there's a lot of ways to spend your life but you don't want to just spend your life you want to invest it you want to invest it in the things of God in what's eternal just like the proverb says by wisdom your life is built a house is built understanding it's established so whatever your station of life is God's going to use it now I want to bring up one more thing before we head out it's so good Turn over to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six, because the truth is you can't serve two masters in life. You know that? You can't serve two masters. Jesus put it this way in verse 24. I want you to see it, Matthew chapter six, verse 24. You you gotta understand this. You you grasp it. Like if if you say today, as for me and my house, I'm gonna serve the Lord, that's it. You can't serve two masters. As for me and my house, I'm gonna serve the Lord. It's not, me and my house, I'm gonna serve my career. Me and my house, I'm gonna, no, it's me and my house, I'm gonna serve the Lord. That comes, he's first singular absolute. You guys with me so far? You guys listening online, listening, I hope you're staying with me because you got to grasp this. God is ready to explode in your family and in your home. The question is, are you ready to meet him? Because you can't serve two masters. Notice, for either you'll hate the one or you'll love the other or else you'd be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. And then he gets the teaching of Jesus, goes on to worry, don't worry, that's the rest of the chapter. And he goes down to verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God, can't serve two masters. Now, of course, the context here, when he says you can't serve God and mammon is money, and that's where he's at contextually, you can't serve. But by way of application, just back that up again and just say this, know you, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and, and then you fill in the blank. Because anything you put in that blank fits. You can't serve God and someone else and something else. You're going to love one, hate the other. You're going to be loyal to one. You're going to despise the other. You can't share that. When you try to share that, there's a Bible word for that. It's called compromise, And when you begin to compromise, compromise begets more compromise. And simple compromise begets more simple compromise. And before you know it, as a series of choices, you wake up one day and go, man, how did I end up here? It didn't happen overnight, I'll tell you that. It's a series of choices. Often small and internal. Nobody sees, but you know them. And the first couple of bad choices, the Holy Spirit convicts you big time and then you don't listen. And then you begin to grieve the Holy Spirit and you harden your heart. And before you know it, man, we did a whole series on backsliding when we were studying through Hebrews. If that's an area of your life, I would encourage you, go back on the app, listen to the series on backsliding so that the Lord will keep you moving forward for His glory. Now, In Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus summarizes this whole teaching, he gives you a familiar illustration. And be careful when you read things that are familiar, because you may miss things. And I, I wonder, I wonder if Proverbs chapter 24 was what Jesus had in mind as he finished up what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. I wonder if that's what he was thinking, that he was tying it together with an Old Testament principle that the people would be very familiar with. Jesus often taught that way. read through the book of Matthew and see how many times the new covenants built on the old covenant, like how they're totally connected. And I wonder if this, when he's talking about house being built and established with knowledge, was on his mind when Jesus said in verse 24, listen, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine And mark these words, and does them. Another gimme. You hear something and you do it. You hear something and you do it. He says, anybody that hears these and does them, I'll liken them to a wise man. It's a wise person that builds his house on the rock. Okay, so we have an example. Hearing, doing equals wise, And the house, again, this is not, this is another picture, it's an illustration. He's not, we don't have two builders building houses here. It's a familiar illustration that would immediately evoke in their lives how to build a life, how to build a life. So you got one person, he's wise, she's wise because she heard, she did. She's like somebody that's on a solid foundation. Jump down to verse 26. Here's the other person. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. That's the difference. The person that he, they both hear, one does, one doesn't do. They're going to be like a foolish man, Jesus said, that built their house on the sand. So you get the picture, both of them putting their houses up, building at the same time. One's on a solid foundation, one's on a sandy foundation. What happens to their houses? Notice, the foolish and the wise person experienced the same thing. Verse 25, rain descended, floods came, winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall. Why? It was founded on the rock. Why was it founded on the rock? Because they heard and did what Jesus said. But notice verse 20, 27, The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. Why? Well, because they heard and didn't do. Not only did the house fall, notice Jesus, have you ever considered why Jesus added this last part and great was its fall? Isn't the falling and destruction of your house enough? Isn't that enough? I mean, Isn't it enough to have something and then through the storms of life, it's completely destroyed? No, it's not because Jesus is making a point. Why was it great fall? I'll tell you why. Because the person that chose to build their life heard what Jesus said and purposely ignored them, but still went through life. And it wasn't just a fall. It was a great fall. Because they sinned against knowledge. It's one thing to sin in an ignorant way. God will hold you accountable for that sin. It's a whole other thing to sin against knowledge, to actually know and refuse to heed. James would pick that up later too, right? Faith without works is dead. Hear and do. Don't walk away hearing and not doing. The greatest choice that you can make is both to choose to surrender your life and home to the Lord and to choose to allow Jesus to build it because Jesus is committed to building your life and building your home. Not everything is lost, not everything is over. Though a man falls seven times, he will rise again. Though your son or your daughter is backslidden, they will come home. Though your marriage is in, tithe, in, in, in just, just completely in tatters, God is ready to restore what the enemy has tried to destroy. And if your life today is beyond what you believe is repair, it is not beyond repair. God is ready to raise you up and start anew and afresh. And I'm sorry you've experienced the storms and the difficulties and just beating, beating, beating against your life. But God is ready to fill your house. That's his will with pleasant, precious riches. With his knowledge, his understanding and his wisdom. I mean, think about it, his knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Jesus created Solomon. You think Solomon was wise? Jesus has more wisdom than Solomon. He's greater than Solomon, he's greater in understanding and in power. How far we've drifted from God's original plan, church. Our generation, our culture, our society undermine, rewritten, basically replace the biblical direction of family, of marriage, of children, of singleness. It's true, not one size fits all. You're going to have to take these Bible studies in and apply them directly to your life. But there is a paradigm that God has intended it not to be changed. The family. A family dedicated to Him. A family no matter what your makeup, man, woman in marriage, man, single, woman, single, how you are as a child in your home. The paradigm is that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. They were both naked, his man and his wife. They were not ashamed. You have the foundation of the family that can never be changed. One man, one woman, one lifetime. And if you are not married, that you're to remain single, holy, and pure unto the Lord. And whether the world changes or not doesn't matter. You know, the world doesn't the world is not greater than God. They can change definitions and laws and whatever, it doesn't matter. If they do that to their own hurt, they do that to their own destruction. For the earliest of time, God cared so much about the family church that he provided these foundational guidelines that would make it solid and keep it strong. And there is hope for all our families. Think about this, before God, before God spoke about work, civil government, Before he invented the church or schools or the law, he even spoke about race or keeping our temples healthy. God spelled out the primary principles of the home because it was his top priority. Our houses, our homes, our lives, which will be our study next time. But today, I want you to consider, I want you to decide, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's where it starts. If you're not open and willing to do that, you're gonna to continue to fight against God's will for your life. And it's gonna become harder. There's no quick fixes, okay? There's no quick fixes. I'm not a pastor that's gonna say, hey, take two verses and call me in the morning. And here it is. This is a, if, if it took you this long to be in trouble, it may take you some time to get back out of it. But the moment of repentance is instant. That's where God begins to work. And there may be some time of correction and work and things that God's doing, but there's no quick fixes. And yet, God is ready to work in your life. If you're ready, God has always been ready. So all he's asking you is to tap into his power. Surrender your life and remember that it's not your way that works, it's God's way. So we gotta change. We have to adapt. We adapt ourselves to him God doesn't adapt himself to, uh, himself to us. When you think you're adapting God to yourself, what you're actually doing is creating a God in your own image. As we saw in Ezekiel, you're going start hearing your own attitude, your own opinion, and then you'll wake up one day and go, what, what is this? You might even start blaming God, but it's not God's fault. Sin has so wrecked us that even in our best efforts, they're not enough. It's not enough. Only surrender will tap into the grace of God. It's not what you do for God, it's what God has done for you. You and I, we are the responders. God is the initiator. He has reached out to you. He is ready to save you. He is ready to keep you. He is ready to cleanse you. It's his work. It's all his work. And it's none of your work. God is has initiated his love toward you. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that that God loved you. He demonstrated his love for you. Why or how? That in while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So when you recognize that you have sinned against a holy and a righteous God and you cry out for forgiveness, God is ready to forgive you. That could be the very beginning of flipping your family around. When, when God, when people were looking at my life and going, man, what a waste of a life. He's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. He, he, he's going to, when people would look at my life, God would look at my life and say, no, I'm going to save that kid. I'm going to do something in his life that nobody will ever believe. It has to be God. They will have to give me credit because he has so thoroughly ruined his life that when they see him, stand, they, they will have to give me credit. And you know, God wants to do that same. You don't have to be as bad as me. It's like, whoa, Ed, you were really bad, man. I'm gonna find it. honey, it's time for another church. And that guy, that guy's messed up. I was, I was. And in many ways, God is still refining me. I'm, I'm in the sanctification process as well. But I do know this. God has done a work in my life as he's done a work in your life. And I'm a different man than that lost punk of 30 years ago. And I'd rather have God's view of my life and live up to his standard than take my view of my life any day of the week. And it's true for you as well. So Father, we ask for your help in our lives as we address family. It's really just a heart issue, is it not? As for me and my house, as for me and my home, as for me and my life, I will serve the Lord. And Lord, we want people to come with us, certainly. But if none go with us, still I will follow we sing that hymn, and may that burn be burned in our lives for the sake of our kids and our grandkids, for the sake of our husbands, our wives, for the sake of our single friends and our single parents, for the sake of our widows and widowers, for the sake of our family. Not only is we, do we have a family in our own lives, but we have a church family and a lost world that's looking for hope and help. May we be the men and women, as imperfect as we are, that live out the full grace of your presence in our lives, and if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do just that. Let's start today with your house. Let's flip it on its head and go, what the enemy thought he had with you, he doesn't, and when I say enemy, I don't mean a human enemy. I mean the devil himself. The devil hates your guts, wants to destroy your family, wants to destroy your life, wants every generation after you to serve him and to live in sin and not to enjoy God. But you can break the cycle. Today, it can change with you if you will just come and repent of your sins. You know, the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the gift of God. That if today you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I just read to you the Bible from memory. That's the gospel message. Your life can be changed today. I don't know, who knows? You might be the next pastor, the next Sunday school teacher. Who knows? You might be the next sober person, the next person that lays down their idols. You may be the next marriage restored, but you'll never know until you come to the Lord. And so I want to give you that chance before we leave. And we give you a a public, an opportunity to publicly acknowledge your repentance before God. And wherever you are in this room, you know, I know watching online or driving, this may not be possible, but uh, it's okay. God knows wherever your station in life is. I think of Cornelius, you know, Cornelius just, man, he believed the Holy Spirit came upon him. It's just amazing. If you will believe, God will work. And so for those of you that are here, maybe even downstairs, if you want to follow Jesus today, just stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. I want today, I want to give you something in your mind to openly acknowledge that this was the turning point in your life. Why? Because you surrendered your life, received the forgiveness of your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. God bless you here. Who else would say that's me? I see you in the back. Perhaps downstairs, the Lord is working. I see you. God wants, listen, God wants to change your life. I know it may not feel anything and you're just like standing and you don't know what your future holds, but you gotta learn to trust God. You don't need to worry about your future. Just in this moment right now, God is ready to work in your life. This is such a high and holy moment. He's ready to change your life. I'm serious. Precious and pleasant riches that you can build your life on the rock. I can stand here and testify to you. God saved my marriage. He gave, saved my life. Just, uh, there's no other way to say it. And I, have a, I count it a privilege to be a part of what God's doing in your life today. So those of you that responded near and far, standing or sitting, doesn't matter, I want you to pray with me because we want to obey what God says. Confess with your mouth. So you can pray something like this. God, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I receive the gift, the forgiveness of my sins. And ask you to change my life and help me to turn away and repent from my sinful past and to surrender and submit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-GRACE.